Welcome into the Chris Collinsworth podcast starring Richard Sherman. And we're here to talk all things Super Bowl today. Tom Brady has won seven Super Bowls now more than any team in the National Football League's history. Absolutely unbelievable. But it was Tampa's defense that didn't allow a touchdown. So who was really the MVP that defense that could stop Patrick Mahomes, Todd Bowles, perhaps we'll discuss all that. Uh, also penalties, such a big part of the first half of that game. Usually refs are accused of leaving the flags in their pockets in big games and Super Bowls. Not the case in the first half of this one. Uh, and unfortunately, the very sad story of Brett Reed and the accident that he had before Super Bowl 55, the impact that may have had on the Chiefs, we will discuss. Um, and also the story of the, the lack of tackles for the Kansas City Chiefs, the fact that they had to reshuffle their offensive line. That was the big story going into this game. But coming out of it was the real story, the way that Tampa's tackles played in this game, we will discuss as well. Before we get started, I want to thank our great friends at uh, DraftKings Sportsbook for sponsoring this show. And if you've ever wanted to get better odds on a bet, well, we can tell you exactly how to do that. Uh, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you a chance uh, all players who place a bet on Sunday night's basketball game between L.A. and Denver will have a hand in lowering, that's right, lowering the over-under on the game. For every 1,000 players who bet the over on Sunday night's game, the over-under will drop by one point. So I got it. So every 1,000 players who bet the over, the over-under actually drops, improving your odds of winning that bet. And all you need to do is use promo code PFF, promo code PFF when you sign up for every better who hammers the over on Sunday's Denver versus Los Angeles game. It helps to lower the games over under. George, how did I do? Did I uh, survive uh, all the uh, gambling lingo there to uh, present that fairly? Clearly, you're getting the hang of it. I mean, you picked the Super Bowl. You were dead on there. I don't, I don't even know if you missed a prop bet. Um, I did. I was hot. I was hot. hot. And I will say uh, the thing, the things that I got uh, most right, most correct were the national anthem and the first song of halftime. So you combine us together and we could, we could, we could just go pro Um, could happen. Uh, Who needs these stinking jobs anyway, man, we'll just go live in Vegas. There you go. I I could get get used to that. Um, But uh, yes, we're moving on now. There's this little lull before the draft props get posted, which are, my personal favorites. We'll talk about those. So um, this is an opportunity to go watch some basketball. I have a feeling that by the time a few thousand people start hammering this over, everyone's going to want to take the over because life's too short to do anything other than that. Um, so I'd go make it happen as quickly as you can. Also, UFC 258 is happening this weekend. And DraftKings, of course, has you covered there. So go use promo code PFF on the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. You, of course, must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Michigan, or Virginia only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Or in Virginia, 888-532-3500. Moving on now to King Richard Sherman and discussing Super Bowl 55. All right, here we go. Super Bowl post-game analysis with Richard and our man George Shahuri here to give us all the uh, PFF perspective. Um, 
guys, this was, I, I think all of us picked the winner here. I, I think even we were on with John Gruden and, and John was uh, on this one as well. Um, and it was even more interesting to me. I just got back from watching the entirety of this game and, and studying it with, with the game film. And the thing, Richard, that stuck out more than anything else to me was that Tampa was just better. I mean, they were physically the better football team on both sides of the ball. And I think we talked about that and we felt like that might be the case going in. But man, was it glaring. And they got Jamel Dean back and they got Antoine Winfield back in the secondary. Jordan Whitehead uh, back in the secondary. Their defensive line dominated. Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul, Devin White. Uh, with a pick. Levante David did a great job when he had Travis Kelsey uh, in coverage on, on that side of the ball. And then to see all of them back. I mean, it was like time went back in time. You know, Gronkowski with the first two touchdowns. Antonio Brown with the third touchdown. Leonard Fournette, who was cut by Jacksonville with the fourth touchdown of the game. And, of course, Tom Brady winning that seventh Super Bowl. He now – it's almost unbelievable to say it. He has more Super Bowl champions championships than any other team. I mean, that's – it's just – it's stunning. I mean, that's why they call him the GOAT, you know. And I, I think he didn't have anything else to prove already. And we had talked about it earlier in the season. It's pretty, pretty much a moot point at this point. Um, but in terms of the Belichick debate with Tom Brady, I mean, he, he – he, he, pretty resoundingly um, made his point and made his per, per perspective known. Um, and I think that it's been incredible to watch him go do everything they said he couldn't do. You know, they said he couldn't go into the NFC, into a tough division. I mean, I, probably arguably the toughest division in football, you know, d depending on who you ask, you know, with the Saints, Atlanta, depends on how they're, they're going. Um, obviously three of the best quarterbacks in the history of football in the same division. Um, and I think that he, he silenced every critic that could possibly have any criticism for him this year, going through the gauntlet that he went through in the playoffs, beating, beating Breeze, beating the MVP Rodgers, and then beating the kid. Uh, I, I, I mean, he couldn't have done it any better than he did it. Yeah, George, it was interesting uh, looking at the PFF stats after the game with all that I want to talk about with Gronkowski and Brady and A.B. and – um, just player after player, Mike Evans with some big plays in this game, big pass interference calls uh, mm -hmm. against him really was what turned it as much as anything else. It was the two offensive tackles of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that graded out the highest on that offense for Tampa Bay, the rookie Tristan Wirfs and Donovan Smith. And for all we wanted to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs and their lacking at the tackle position going into this game, it was the two tackles from Tampa that really stood out. Yeah, don't get me started on the penalty stuff. Uh, I went back and counted the number of penalties called against Kansas City when they played San Francisco and the number of penalties called against Kansas City when they faced Brady. It's a little lopsided there, um, like 10 to, 10 to 2, I want to say. Um, but you're dead on. The Tampa Bay Bucks. I thought, look, you mentioned Tristan Wirfs. He was the highest graded offensive player in this game. He was a rookie. The Chiefs' first-round pick, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, did not make a scintilla of an impact on this game. 
And I think that was the real glaring difference to me was Tampa Bay was deeper, right? Like their coverage, everyone gave the, the MVP to Brady and I get it. If you picked one person on Tampa Bay to give an MVP to, is it not Todd Bowles? Like they totally flipped their coverage scheme on the back end from what they did to the Chiefs the first time. And it confused the hell out of the Chiefs. So I agree. It was a masterclass in team building. It was a masterclass in strategy. Um, and then, of course, a masterclass, I thought, by Tom Brady in motivating a team that with any other quarterback, and Richard can speak to this more, I think, obviously, without, with, with Tom Brady there, the confidence that you have walking out onto the field versus with any other quarterback has got to be insane. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure people feel pretty good with Mahomes and, and uh, A-Rod. Um, I, I think that – I think it's crazy and, and incredible and, and every other um, word you can use to, to describe what they did. But I think that there's something to be said for how they bullied them. You know, I think mm -hmm. it was a mentality going into the game, um, and you could see it. Like, I still don't understand how they called a, a personal foul on Tyron Matthew when – when Tom chased him down to talk mess to him, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think that was intentional. You know what I mean? I, I, Tom, the game is slow enough for, for Tom not to get over overzealous, over overexcited. I think he was making a point to, to, to be that way, to show the team like, hey, we're here to like, like stump a mud hole and not, and not relent at all. Like not any calmness, not any, like we're going to bully. And that's what they tried to do the entire game. And every aspect of the game, you could see that. You could see it. Uh, and Fournette's running. It was like, bang, bang, bang. You could see Todd Bowles, and like we talked about um, in a previous show, Todd Bowles did exactly what, what we did. You keep a top over the defense. You keep, you, you keep a, a bubble over defense. You let your front four work. You play, you, you run games. And then Kansas City played right into their hands going mm -hmm. empty for, for majority of the game. Like, you don't go empty majority of the game with no chippers, with, with, to, to make shift tackles, you know, without your two starters in there. You you chip, and then you get out, and you do all the extra stuff. You you chip with with Kelsey, and then he gets out and, and gets creative. But if, with, when they didn't do that, they almost they almost gave it away. I'm sure Todd Bowles was looking like, oh, oh, they, oh they're going to play it like that. Oh, okay, we can, we can keep the shell, let them walk the ball to the red zone, tighten up in the red zone, get, get stops in the red. Game's won. You get three field goals, field goals won't beat you. Yeah, it, it was it was really a bit of a master stroke uh, on the part of Bowles. But at the same time, the only major difference in how they played their defense in this game was they just didn't play any man coverage. They yeah. never, you know, the first game, um, they just let Tyreek Hill get one-on-one -on -one against Carlton Davis three times, and they came up with three big plays. And you take away those big plays in that game, and it sounds ridiculous to say that, but they didn't do much. And in this game, because they didn't give up those three big plays, the, the overall game outside of those three plays was kind of similar. Um, the, a couple of guys that I think deserve a little tip of the cap in this game that we probably won't ever talk about. Uh, one, Levante David. Uh, he had Travis Kelsey a lot one-on-one, -on -one, whether it was inside, matching inside a zone, or whether it was in man coverage and knocked away some, some key balls from, from him. Um, Vita Vea's return was made a difference. There were times that they put Vita Vea on the edge 
of that defense and let him bull rush these two tackles. So they mm -hmm. took the guard, uh, Andrew Wiley, and moved him out to right tackle. They flipped Rimmers, who had been playing right tackle, moved him over to left guard. And yet they were able, whether it was uh, Vea or whether it was Sue on occasion, they would flip him right to the outside. And it was the bull rushes all day long. There were times that they both tackles got collapsed right back into Mahomes. And I, I think from the beginning of the game, you saw that Patrick Mahomes did not believe this offensive line was going to hold up. I mean, you from the beginning, he was on the move and he was already like predetermined that he was going to try and win this game from outside the pocket. Uh, and he couldn't. He, he just couldn't. I mean, you, you nailed it. They didn't play a single snap of cover one. They didn't play cover one one time. Uh, and they, that was something they'd used about 20% of the time during the regular season. So I, I thought that was, uh, that was perfect on the Bucks part. But I was surprised that the Chiefs didn't have a more diverse game plan. I, to me, if I were predicting what the Chiefs would, would have done in that situation, they would have thrown short and quick a lot. And Mahomes held on to the ball on average for 3.5 seconds. You know, and that's knowing that the tackles are not going to be able to, to, to hold up. So I was surprised by that. I don't know what happened, but um, it surprised me. That sounds better in theory than, than, than its real practicality because they were down. They were down the majority of the game. You know, it sounds like, yeah, just throw short and walk the ball down the field, but you're down. So eventually you get down – Seven, they were down four when it was seven to three. Then it was, then it was, they were down 11. Then they got scored before the half. I mean, you know, then they're down so much that you, in your mind, you can't play short game because they tried it. They tried it. It'd be, it'd be second and seven. Now it's third and four. And then, I mean, uh, Tampa Bay gets to stop. It's like, you need the chunk plays. That's how their offense works. They lose the games that they don't get the chunks. They lose the games where they don't live off the explosives where you don't see Tyreek Hill, you know, giving a peace sign and, and, and Kelsey just running through the defense. They lose those games. And there's a crazy statistic that our coaches always bring up because usually we're, we're near the top of the pack in terms of least explosives. And it's like every drive that has an explosive, there's, it's like a 65% scoring chance. Like if they have an explosive, if they don't have an explosive, it drops considerably to like 40%. If, they, if the team doesn't have – so if you have to walk the ball down the field, six, six, seven yards, five yards, all the way down the field, your chances of scoring go down substantially without an explosive play. So I think, I think it sounds good in theory to, to uh, dink and duck, dink and duck, but I don't think that's who Patrick Mahomes is, first off. You know what I mean? It's, it's certain quarterbacks where they want, they want the bottoms. They want yeah, to – It's a good, really good point. They went 0 for 6 on throws, 20-plus yards downfield when they torched them the, in week 12. But they have been – I thought they were more adaptable against Buffalo, where his average throw was about five and a half yards downfield. Now, they still got some explosives in that game, but they almost used their passing game like a run game, and it wasn't there today. I mean, they didn't have a run game, certainly, right? They weren't able to bully anyone up front, and they weren't able to get any of the easy yards that you'd expect with, with Hill and Kelsey. Um, but you're right. The big play was also nowhere they, to be they, found. They actually popped a couple of good sized runs, but they were behind and just never could stay with it. But Richard, back to your point, uh, you know, the whole balance between cover two, cover four on the first series of the game, they hit a, they hit a quick 
pass in the flat on the first one. They come right back and call one on the second one, and they rotate it up. It looked like cover four or something off the ball, and Jamel Dean rotated up. And literally, almost like the play that you talked about in the Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes, he was winding up to throw it, and if he had thrown it, it would have been a pick six the other way. So they were going to play that game. Like, if you want to play short, all right, go ahead. But if you're going to try and get this ball outside, you don't know, is this quarter coverage and is he rolling back or is this cover two and he's rolling up? And because of the play of the inside linebackers, you know, whether it was Devin White playing on Clyde Edwards-Alaire or Levante David uh, going against Kelsey, this was a game that was dominated by better athletes on the defensive side of the ball and their coach putting them in a position where they could be just coy enough in coverage to where they never, ever had to worry about it. Because as you pointed out earlier, they always had somebody over the top of Hill. Now he made some plays underneath, but a lot of that two man and a couple of times Mahomes would make plays breaking the pocket and two man but there was really only one time that Hill really beat him in two man for about a 20 yard crosser. And that was it. Right. And, and, and you can live with that. You can live with that. I'm sure Todd Bowles is like, Hey, I'm good with that. Did we get him down? Do we get him down? Do we limit the explosive? Do we limit him? Because he's too fast to just, and you're giving up the middle of the field. So if he gets an inside release, it's over. Just get him down. And so I, I, I really like Todd's um, game plan. I thought that them cutting the, the, the crosser and the third um, and the way they rotated when they, when they had um, speed and triples formation uh, was, was really cool. I, I saw a lot of similarities to what we did in terms of our, our, our quarter quarter half um, and the way we adjusted to the backside three by one. Um, and I mean, you got to give credit to Tampa's B line, you know, that was a veteran, veteran, veteran group and they played hungry and they played relentless the whole game. You know, I mean, like you said, they, they moved Sewell around. I mean, he got a sack and almost killed Mahomes straight from the edge. It looked like he was untouched. Um, and, I mean, the play where they where they got the, the rough and the passer, where they fold, folded him up and everybody wanted to fight, I mean, I think that was the testament play of the game because it, it, that, at that point, I, I knew it was over. You know, at that point, they, they hit him so hard and so much that it was like, hey, this is fight or flight. This is survival. He's, he's young. You know what I mean? He's, he's getting hit like that by grown men. These men are... I mean, I think it was Devin White, Sue, and uh, maybe Pierre Paul that all collided and, and met at the quarterback. And, I mean, when they're playing like that. You know what it reminded me of a little bit? Back in the days when the Indianapolis Colts uh, had Peyton Manning, they had pure pass rushers on the other side because they were always playing with the lead. You know, it was always going to be a shootout, and so let's rush the passer. Uh, and nobody ever really got into a game where they were just going to pound the football at them. The Chiefs are built kind of that same way. They play dime defense more than anybody uh, in the league. They want to go cover zero. They want to attack. They want to put speed on the field. Uh, they played a lot of nickel in this game. And Tampa responded with jumbo. They brought their big Joe Haig out on the field and played six big offensive linemen. And then sometimes they would put when on the breakout run by Leonard Fournette, they had Jumbo and two tight ends on the same side of the field and just outflanked them over there. So they were determined that they were going to go pound this smaller-looking Kansas City Chiefs team that really had never had it taken to them 
physically like what Tampa did in this game. And it was, it, what was great about it was their, their personnel packages were so much more diverse. And so what it allowed them to do was be more multiple. It, 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 Brady was seven for eight on play action. All three of his touchdowns came off play action in the first half. And I was, when Richard was talking about explosive plays and I went back and I looked at Tampa Bay, I was like, Brady only had one, one completion over 20 yards downfield, but it felt as if they were more explosive. And the reason was, is that that play action game, you had Gronk running wide open. I mean, he looked like he was 10 years younger out there, as you said, Chris, but that's what having diversity both on offense and defense can do to you. It did make me think though, we saw Cam Newton play with a really banged up offensive line. Mike Remmers was on that offensive line. It didn't work out for him against Denver. And I felt like he was watching this game praying for Patrick Mahomes there. Cause he was, you're right. He was getting absolutely killed. And I thought it was honestly impressive. Some of the throws that he made, not all of them were caught. Um, but I don't think any of the blame should fall on Mahomes. I'm not sure what you guys think about that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that I would use the word blame, uh, but I, I felt like he committed a little early that his guys weren't going to be able to block. Hmm. Uh, whether Because Kelsey, I mean, clearly the game plan was they were going to take away Hill, right? They were going to let Kelsey have his yards. They were going to let him uh, do some things inside. Kelsey had a huge drop in this game. When they were coming off their own goal line, after that goal line stand where they held it to seven to three, um, hit a play to Hill out to about the 15-yard line, on third down, come back to Kelsey, who made a great move. I mean, it was a great move against two man to get open, but he drops the ball out there, which forced the punt. And then that whole sequence of the punt and, you know, the better field position and the shank punt and the guy dropping the ball, all those sort of things began to happen. Um, so I, I, I just, I felt like that, that he was right when he was seeing all that two man to take off and run and pick up some first downs. That was a good strategy. Obviously that's what always kills uh, the two man, but I thought there were some opportunities in the game where maybe he could have reestablished a little bit of their offense. It didn't feel like an offense out there. It just didn't, it didn't feel like there was any sort of, uh, I never got the feeling that Andy Reid had taken over the game with his play calling because they just either could never get it protected or Patrick had sort of made up his mind that he was out of there. And I, and I totally agree. I, I don't think you can ever get away with not putting blame for a loss on the quarterback if you can always get away with giving quarterback credits for wins. You know, I, I, I don't, you know, that's just old school. Like if you're going to give them credit and they win the Super Bowl and be like, man, the quarterback, quarterback position, man. Then when they lose, you're like, well, we can't really blame the quarterback. It's like, oh, well, you know, I mean, you, 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 I mean, you know, he, he, he got the ball every play, just like they say any other time. You know, when they win, they're like, he got the ball every play. He got it, got to be on him. Really? Well, he got the ball every play, it's on him. You know, obviously, they could have been better in protection. I think there could have been a better plan with more max protect looks and chippers and, and giving him more time. But I mean, he fought his behind off. You know, that's that's no slight on him. He fought his behind off every every time. It wasn't like he folded up. He just gave up. But there were times he held the ball a little longer. You know, when the pocket was 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 solid. You know, for the first three and a half, four seconds, and and you got to get you got to get it out. You know, I don't think Brady held the ball for more than more than two seconds, maybe three, the whole game. You know, regardless, unless it was a deep play action shot. But even then, he hits his back step. Ball's gone. And I think, I think anytime you you want to blame the old line, I, I I've seen Brady play 
behind terrible old lines and they look great. And hey, you're Manning, like, Drew Brees, the great ones can do it. They can do it because they, 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 it's pre-snap reads. It's understanding like Brady. Huh? Oh, he's coming here. He's coming here. Hey, check. Get, get up. Hey. So, and they communicate and then bang, it's, it, it's on ball's going to come out. Um, he, not that he's always perfect. Not that it, it's always works out exactly how he wants, but he knows where he's going with the ball. I don't think that Pat always knows where he's going with the ball. I think a lot of times he relies on his creativity uh, late in the play and his, his arm talent and all the, all the ability that he has to get him out of bad situations. And this time it just ran out, you know, ran out of luck. You, you, you got around the edge a few times where you're like, man, he's about to do something special, but no, not this time. You know, the, the, the coverage was tighter. There are more people out there. There's more, you know, the, the rush is still coming. You know, these guys are fresh. They're rotating them. Um, so I think, I think you've got to still give them some of the blame. Richard, it, I was uh, I was thinking about it when he threw the ball like he was flying forward. He was getting sacked and he flung it 30 yards uh, into the end zone and he just dome shotted. Was it Damian Williams? Right, right. You know, right. and you're like you're watching that play and I'm like, look, if this were a video game, they would have clipped this replay and it'd, be, it'd have like 80 million views for this incredible shot. And that was the thing was like the creativity you expect. Kansas City to make one or two of those plays, and they didn't make a single one. No, that was Hill that had it bounce off. Was it Hill that? Well, Hill had one on the other side. What? uh, Oh, okay. So you're talking about that. I'm talking about when he was literally horizontal. Yeah. I mean, the guy, I mean, nobody's ever going to say he's not, you know, the A player right now in the National Football League. You, you will never know how much the toe uh, had an impact. And I'll tell you the other thing we'll never know is we'll never know how much the incident with uh, Britt uh, Reed had on that football team. I mean, think about the sequence of what happened with this team. It was late Thursday night, I believe when Andy Reid and the other teammates got the word that Andy Reid's son, Britt, who is the defensive line coach, I believe, on the Kansas City Chiefs, had been involved in an accident um, in which he had had a few drinks and there were little babies in the car that were parked on the side of the road and got hurt. And then Friday, you know, Andy Reid is dealing with this all day. Saturday, they get on an airplane for Tampa. and if I had to describe a little bit of Kansas City, I was there the year before on the field uh, watching the game as you guys were all going through warmups. And I mean, Kansas City is bouncing around the field. They look like a bunch of young bucks. They couldn't have been more excited. And you watch them this game. I never felt any energy. I never felt any life. It was just a completely different scene. And you just wonder how much that incident of the coach's son and their coach in the defensive line room a couple of days before had on this game. Who knows? Oh, I think it definitely had an impact. You know, anytime, especially Super Bowl week, is full of distractions in the first place, you know. And Mm -hmm. so anytime you have something that huge and that colossal and and, and just, like, drains the team because it's like you have to talk about it. You can't get away from talking about it. You're like, or other people's calling you to talk about it. They're like, man, what happened with your coach? What's going on over there with you guys? And then we're not even talking about the drastic difference between this Super Bowl and the last 10, 15 Super Bowls where the team comes a week early. Like, I've never even thought of hearing about a team coming the day before the damn Super Bowl and playing. Like, 
you know, I understand they're semi-close, but they're not close enough to come the day before a damn Super Bowl. And that's that's one of those things where it would have frustrated me as a player because I've been like, like at least let us get a night's sleep in the place we're playing. You know what I mean? A night, maybe two, where we're playing so that I could feel more comfortable. You know, that's that's like when you play East Coast games and you fly there and you you, you fly there on Friday at, you know, 10.30 or whatever. You land 10.30, 11 o'clock, you get a night's sleep, you wake up, you, your body clock kind of acclimates a little bit. You, you get the, you know, feel for the weather. You're like, okay, okay, I know what I'm dealing with. But when you when you show up Saturday, then you don't get any of that. You don't get the walkthrough on a field. You don't get to do anything but probably the walkthrough at the stadium. And I think that that was a bit of a mistake in planning. And I don't know if that was the league forcing them to do that um, because of because of coronavirus and all that, you know, and, and mitigating risk. But I think it could have been handled better. Well, well we had in our Super Bowl in '88, uh, Stanley Wilson was, you know got high on cocaine. He had a cocaine problem. Everybody knew it. And he sort of blew up the night before the Super Bowl. And Sam Weich came in and he looked like somebody had, you know, shot his dog or something. And he goes, and all he could get out was we lost Stanley. And everybody's like, what do you mean you lost Stanley? Like we lost Stanley. Like he was, you know, and it ended up guys on our team provided him the coke you know and he he couldn't he couldn't drink one beer he couldn't drink he couldn't have one snort you know he had he was just one of those addicts that once he had one that was it and he was gone and he was on the streets and he was you know nobody we couldn't find him and and, and god only knows where he was and so as we were having that team meeting of course me being the idiot i thought team leader that i was in my in my eighth year I get up in front of the football team and I said, I go, listen, guys, we all knew that Stanley had issues here. We knew what was going on. You know, I, we've got to rally together here. We've got to pull this thing back in. I say that he's a friend of ours, that we put this thing together. We go out and win one for Stanley Wilson. We got to win one for Stanley Wilson. Yeah, okay. There was about a two second pause and the offensive line in the back went, Will you sit your ass down? What's the matter with you, man? What are you talking about? Win one for Stanley Wilson. I was like, ah, you got a point. I thought I'd take a shot at it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely truth. Absolutely. Oh, happy. that is awesome. That uh, is awesome. Rich, what's but you the know, best? sometimes you got to try to, you got to try to get it back together. You know, yeah. you got to try to find a way to piece this thing back together. And I'm sure the emotions of that football team, I, I don't know, Brett, but if he's anything like Andy, you know, those guys loved him, you know, you know, they wanted to be around him and, and they had to be heartbroken and, you know, Andy had to be heartbroken, right? I mean, his son had overcome so much. He'd already lost one son and this son had overcome so much. And, oh, uh, it was just sickening when you, you had to read about it. Well, at Rich's point, and your point come together and you think about it and you go, if they had traveled earlier, if they'd been there the whole week, Britt doesn't, isn't driving back and forth, right? He, he doesn't have to, cause they're staying, you know, and I, this was, I think the part we underestimated with home field wasn't actually in the game. It was the whole week leading up to it where the Super Bowl was still in Tampa. Like there was still media there. Tam Tampa had the Super Bowl feeling you could see it on TV and Kansas city clearly didn't have it. Um, they didn't have the same energy that they might've had in their first super bowl. 
Um, it's a really good point and probably something that we underestimated, or at least I underestimated in thinking about this game. Um, you know, it definitely had an impact. Well, it was, it was interesting. My two sons went to the game and they said clearly was a home field advantage. No question about it. I said when, when Tampa was on the field, it was silent. Like they were, they were working like in an empty stadium and just the reverse when Kansas city was out there and you go a oh, big deal. It's only 25 or 6,000 mm-hmm. people, whatever. But when you've been working all season with no crowd noise, basically to deal with, maybe it was a bit of a factor. Who knows? And the real winner for the night, the real champion, the person who took home the biggest prize was the streaker. By far, <laughs> far and away. Did you hear the story about that dude? No. So it was, good. Rich, tell the story. story. Tell the story. They said the guy put $50,000 on plus 750 odds that there's a streaker at the game. And he was the streaker at the game. No. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. And he sent he sent his buddy out as a decoy because he figured the first person to go on the field was going to get tackled. So his buddy sacrifices himself. He comes over the top, streaks, and he and they paid him out. He they did pay. pay it. He had to pay. <laughs> no way. They did pay it. Yeah. So he made oh, like four hundred K. Oh my God. That means all hell is going to break loose at the next Super Bowl. I, we're doing it in LA. I, I don't even want to think about what's going to happen. You know it. They're going to be like a skydiver's dropping in. Well, what's the, what's the over under? All right. What, what was the fight that had fan man came in in Vegas? You remember that one? They had a dude that had a fan on his back and a parachute and came and he blew right into the ring. You, you guys are probably too young to remember this thing. Yeah. Look up fan man and boxing and you'll see this thing. It was the damnedest thing I've ever seen. A dude with a parachute and a fan on his back blew right in the middle of the ring during a, during a championship fight. Unbelievable. In Vegas? I think so. Fan, just look it up, George. You got to right, be able I'm going to look it up because I need ideas. Huh? For I need ideas for you know next year's Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah. Right, 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 right. We got to <laughs> figure out what the prop bets are. Let me know. What's hey, going. if you're going to make a cash, that's a good way to go. Give it a shot. <laughs> hey, you know one other thing that that we did not talk about in this game, and it was the, the impact of special teams, especially on a, in a negative way. We talked about the drop punt. We talked about the shank punt that set up after they made the goal line stand, you know, they pick up one first down. They have a, the guy drops the ball and has a booming punt and then comes right back on the next one and shanks it out of bounds, get it on like the 38 yard line. They go down and they hold them again. And then they get an offsides penalty. I think it was on Hardman who was rushing the field goal and that gave him the first down. And the very next play Gronk turns around the rookie Legereus Sneed on a corner route. Now, you can't blame Sneed because it looked like the play was completely over. He had him covered in the corner. Then Gronk does the little slippery thing coming back the other way, but a couple of special team plays in a row really turned that game. So they could have held him to a field goal there. 10, 10, three, you go, okay, that's not a bad sequence. But those were some big blown plays. That end of the half sequence to me, combined with the start of the half, is that ended the game completely, right? Kansas City comes down, they can't score, they give it back, two penalties, because then it was it was the offside or the offsides, and then 
the Tyron Matthew one that you talked about, Richard, right? One of the 10 penalties that Kansas City got called called for uh, in this game. They score a touchdown, and then Kansas City can't come out at a halftime and score a touchdown. I, I thought, honestly, they should have gone for it on that fourth down. I was like, you're kicking a field goal now? Like, what, what are you getting out of this field goal here? You have to score a touchdown. To me, that was where the game ended. Well, let, let's go back for one minute to the timeout. To me, this game really kind of got decided just before the half. It was the Chiefs taking a timeout with 43 seconds to go. Third and two, they're on about the, their own 45-yard line. I, I was thinking if, if the Chiefs were willing to let that clock run down, it's possible because they had Patrick Mahomes that, that it may have been Brady willing to run the thing down. The Chiefs call the timeout there and basically go, we don't think you can pick up third and two. They throw it in the flat, Gronk runs over one of the cornerbacks, and they go on to score a touchdown on that drive. George, you tell me you're the, you're the uh, you're the guy pushing the buttons. That third down and two, how significant a play was it in that timeout? Because otherwise, I don't think they're getting a touchdown out of that drive. I'm not so sure that the Bucks don't just say, "All right, we're going to let this clock run down here." I agree, and I my take on it is: you think you're stopping this team for two yards? Like I, I get that you're, I get that you want to have faith in your defense here, but you also want your defense to think about limiting the number of points. I, to me, the idea that they were going to had a good chance at, at stopping them for two yards was not great. So, you know, for a lot fewer than two yards. So to me, I would have let it run down, I think, but hindsight is so 2020 in the moment you're going, we need to maximize the amount of time. We just got to take chances. So I, I can kind of see where they're coming from. I think personally, I probably would have tried to let it down hoping that Tampa Bay goes, yeah, we'll take the field goal. Yeah, well, it was it was not even a field goal at that point. So the best that Kansas City could have hoped for would have been an incomplete pass there. And so with maybe with 35 seconds right. to go, then Tampa is going to punt the ball back into your end of the field. And I'm not saying you couldn't have gotten a field goal out of it, but the odds felt just about as good that Brady was going to convert that third down and two and go on to score points himself um, I, I I thought that was a really interesting decision in the game. Richard was making faces at me though. He's because you don't mad. you don't do it. You don't you don't you don't call on a timeout with Tom Brady in two minutes. Never never let it play out. Let it let it play hot. Let it let it let it flow. You don't you don't stop his momentum. You don't because no matter what you give him time. You give him time to huddle up and come up with a better plan in the middle of a two minute drill. Like are you an idiot? You know what I mean? It, it, it's really crazy. It's, it's idiotic because it's almost like you haven't watched the last 20 years of this man in two minutes. Like, like you have never watched him. It's not like he's like, oh, he's kind of average in two minutes. Like he's literally the damn near the king of it. If you had to take a quarterback, it's him or A-Rod in two minutes for the game. I mean, you, you won't have a hard time stopping him. So, so to call a timeout thinking, hey, we're going to get this stop on third and two. Like it was, if it was third and 11, you know, third and eight, You'd be like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing. But on a third and two, this is the check down king. Like, run everybody else out. Fournette, just, just run to the flat. He was going to figure it out. It was gonna, he was going to find a person in the flat for two yards, and they were going to fall forward. Like, it's almost like you, you, when, you, when you do that, it's, it's, I don't know what, what statistics you're getting because it's, it, it'd be frustrating as a defense where you're like, bro, why don't you give him a timeout? At least let him be in the moment and still under, in the heat of battle. Don't let him stop and take a deep breath and be like, all right, let's figure out what they're doing. You know, 
And, and to Richard's point, with that amount of space left, like Tom Brady, it's not it's not condensed field. So Brady has all this room, all this field to work with. The chances of converting a third and two for that offense are high. I mean, real high. I, I would say, I don't have numbers right in front of me, but I would say at least 65, 70% there. That's not the odds that you want to you want to play with. I mean, I mean, not against this exact Kansas City team, but against Kansas City, this coaching staff, Andy Reid, he converted three damn third and tens in a row. Like, you don't call no damn timeout. Let's let's move on now to Antonio Brown. Uh, We talked about Gronkowski and the resurgence and and what he meant in in this game. Uh, But Antonio Brown had some big plays in this game as well. And they had 10 seconds on the clock, if I'm remembering this correctly. And he was the one that scored the touchdown right before the half. So basically, you knew you couldn't run the ball here. And Antonio Brown pulled out one of those old quick ones, you know, that quick out and back in, which Richard, I got to think, is one of the hardest things to cover in the world. It's hard to cover in an open field and say, but in the red zone, it's damn near impossible because you have to believe the first one. You have to believe. You have to trigger because all they got to do is throw it low and away from you, no matter what. So if you don't ever trigger, then they just throw it low and in front of you, and then they fall, and then they're in the end zone. It's a touchdown. So Tyron played it about as well as you can. He played it almost like where he absorbed him and then ran with it. And then Antonio just kind of shrugged him off back inside and, and Tom put it on him. You know, I mean, I, 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 can't, I can't imagine how you cover that. The, the other thing that I, I wanted to get your take on, um, almost all of those pass interference penalties were against Mike Evans. In other words, somebody trying to guard Mike Evans on the play. Uh, Breland, I think, had two of them. Uh, one, he got clearly beaten and was behind. Uh, and I think Matthews was to they were trying to go to Evans as well on that middle read, right? Uh, how much of a factor is it? Um, and I think the, the interception that they took away, was that Evans as well that uh, on Shavarius Ward that they were trying, he was like in a wrestling match and and sort of grabbed them, you know, over the top and, and called that thing. So, it, but my point being, Mike Evans made some big plays in the game, but arguably the biggest plays were the pass interference calls that were called against him. And are you more inclined to have to interfere with a guy that size to make a play? No question. You're going to have to fight with him. You're going to have to wrestle with him or else he's just going to big boy, you know? So there is a huge physical aspect of like if they're not letting them play then a guy like Mike Evans you target every time they're throwing flags they're going to throw them damn near every play because he's going to be you know doing everything he can to create separation so if you're on him he's going to be you know hand fighting give you an extra shove do whatever he can and they rarely call that and as a defender you can't depend on the ref to call an offensive PI especially in the dang Super Bowl so you have to claw your way back in and just assume you're not going to get any calls today and then it was really in, the first one. It was like he was trying to go against leverage. He went inside against uh, Breland and was going to, you know, work back to the out, you know, the old classic thing. And when I watched it, I said, man, I, I almost felt like if anything, Evans may have gotten a little swing with his left arm coming underneath there, goes against Breland. There it is. Now he did get behind him on the deep ball and he kind of tripped him up and did the whole thing. And then there was the wrestling match with Ward on the other side that took away probably the biggest play of the game for the Kansas City Chiefs, the interception by Tyron Matthew on kind of a ticky-tacky foul 
but it was, if you're a Chiefs fan, clearly you're not too happy coming out of this one. Right, but but as a Chiefs fan, if you watched last year's Super Bowl, you you kind of got no room to speak. You know what I mean? I mean, you you one one year to back to back. One year you 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 get every call, and you know they hold their whistles, and the next year they call them. You know, I mean, you've been to two Super Bowls, they call them two different ways. Um, I think that that you know some of those as a defensive back, and you're in a Super Bowl, you got to let them play. You know, you 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 expect some. You know, the the one with Mike Evans. Um, where he kind of tripped him up. I mean, I don't know how much he really tripped him. You know, I, I, he, it wasn't like he, he leg swept him. You know what I mean? He kind of stumbled and fell, and then Mike fell. But they kind of got to call it. But uh, the other ones, I mean, you got to kind of let him play at some point or another, or it's going to be tough to ever play defensive back in the league, which, which is already true. But last year they did. They let him play. They let him get away with it. They let him do what they needed to do, and it was beneficial. You know, the refs held their whistle. Uh, Kansas City played a great defensive game especially down the stretch and they got to win um well, to your but to your point Richard they didn't even just hold their whistle they called OPI last year right <laughs> you know it wasn't even like oh we're just going to swallow the whistle a la the Green Bay Tampa Bay game until the end of the game where they literally went the other way right where Kittle gets the best throw that Jimmy makes all game you know gets it gets uh, negated by an OPI uh and in this game they kind of went exactly the other way the discrepancy as I said was 10 to 2 on the defensive side, Kansas City called for seven uh, this year, called for one last year. Right. It, it's just a different game. I mean, even in the offensive line, you know, they got called for however many uh, holding penalties they got called on the offensive line this year. And on some huge plays, you know, on, on third and 14s where the pass rush was hot and everybody's coming and, you know, Pat is trying to get it out. You know, I think it was an incompletion steal, but they got the holding call. They got the holding call after holding call after holding call. So it really didn't matter because there was no, you know, the refs weren't going to let them get away with it. And, and that changes how everybody plays. So if you're getting those calls and, and you see the refs are calling it that way as an offensive lineman, I'm sure you got to play the game different. You know, hey, I'm not going to get away with this move that I'm used to getting away with. So I got to play it almost straight up. And you're playing against JPP and Sue and, and Shaq and, I mean, you, you're not going to get away with playing like that. I'm going to say it because I, I don't know if anyone else can. Gronk and, and Brady aren't getting that OPI call. Right, Kittle no. and Jimmy, Kittle and Jimmy did. Gronk and Brady are not. Uh, then that's just, I believe that. That's the, that's the game. That's the human element of our game. But you, I think, I don't want to bury the lead here. And I think the lead is Todd Bowles. Uh, mm -hmm. and what they did on defense. Uh, Patrick Mahomes had, I don't think, had 100 yards passing until like a minute to go in the third quarter. <laughs> I don't care who you are. I don't care how many stars you've got rushing the passer. I didn't know that that was possible to do that. I, I really didn't. I, I mean, I, I coming into the game, I like Tampa. I picked Tampa. I get that. But it was like, I, I remember making the pick. I go, I'm just flipping a coin. I don't really know. You know, I feel like they're a little more physical and all that kind of stuff. But it was, it was one of the most impressive performances. And I, I'm not so sure that Bruce Arians at the end of his career won't be remembered for the fact that he had minority coordinators at every level. He had two female coaches on his coaching staff and he won a Super Bowl uh, with that crew uh, of, of people. Um, it, it was impressive. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a funny guy. He's entertaining. He's wonderful to be around. 
but he was also the first guy that really took the plunge with the coaching staff uh, and said, I'm going to be this diverse. And now look at me, I'm world champion. What does that say? I mean, it says what, what, what it's always said, you know, if you pick the best person for the job, regardless of color, you'll have great success. And I, I don't think he ever takes that into consideration. I think that he felt like Byron Leftwich, um, who's been with him a while, um, was the best person for the job. Todd Bowles, who's been with him a while, was the best person for the job. Um, and, and those two men created great game plans who, who took advantage of, of their personnel and, and won them a Super Bowl. And I think that, like we talked about before in this discussion about, you know, a, a just equality and, and, and coaches of color getting an opportunity um, in this league, a fair opportunity uh, to be head coaches. I think that, like, if you just strip down the layers of fairness and just compared resume to resume and said, hey, we're going to – two guys, A, B, we're going to pick this guy. He got a better resume. We think he's going to be the better coach regardless of color. There'd be more color – head coaches of color. But when you – when you break down the layers and you say, hey, okay, he'd make a great head coach, but can I, can I call him every day and have a, have a beer with him and, and sit there and shoot the, shoot the stuff? And then you get down to that layer of thing. Then it's like, it's unfortunate that those two men didn't even get interviewed, I don't think, for head coaching jobs. You know, they're coordinating an offense and defense in the Super Bowl that just won, that, that just was incredible in the Super Bowl, and they didn't even get interviews. And there are coaches who didn't coordinate anything that are head coaches for teams right now. And that's concerning. You know, what's so fun for me is, of course, I get to know all these guys. I get to interview them as we go along. And Todd Bowles always, and it's unfair for me to put it in this category, but, but the, the, the quieter the guy is, the more I go Tony Dungy, right? And I, I always think of, you know, that category of coach from a standpoint that it's counterintuitive to if you grew up on football and you knew the Lombardis and the what the hell is going on around here and all the screaming and yelling and, and all that that goes on. But that's not really the NFL today. You know, it's just not. It's a collaborative effort with the players. You think of the NBA and what LeBron would or Steph would be contributing to the offense. And we're starting to see it now out of Russell Wilson, too. Even Russell Wilson saying, hey, you know, I feel like I should be a part of this process. We really haven't ever had this offensive line group and, and protection and throw the ball and all that sort of stuff. The league is really changing a little bit from that standpoint. And I'm not so sure the Todd Bowles of the world aren't really the right guys to be leading it. Right. I mean, it's, I mean, you, you look at it, you go. Well, I mean, the New Orleans tight end group was really special, but but maybe, you know, stopping the greatest offense uh, that we've seen in the past five <laughs> years is also kind of special. I mean, you know, like you're telling me that Dan Campbell's so much more charismatic. And I don't mean to pick on Dan Campbell, but I'm just using an example. You're telling me that he's so much more charismatic and such a better leader of men than Todd Bowles. Like that's uh, bullshit. I'm sorry. Like that's ridiculous. Todd Bowles had to coach his one head coaching gig was for a team that that can't get out of its own way, you know, has has really struggled. I don't know how you can knock him for that. So uh, I, I think it's a really good point. And to Arian's credit, not only did he hire these people, he let them do their thing. Like, I, I, to me, what Arian's did was he said, you know what, Tom Brady, you know what you're doing. Byron Leftwich, you know what you're doing. Todd Bowles, you know what you're doing. 
let me know what I can do to help you do your job, but you go do your job. You didn't get in their way. I thought that was really impressive. And I think, I think that's what a lot of great head coaches do. You know, that's why you hire great coordinators. That's why you hire great position coaches because you don't need to micromanage them. You shouldn't need to. And I think when we, when, when I, the great teams that I've been on, um, that's exactly what's happened. You know, now obviously Kyle is, is definitely more hands-on with the offense, but in terms of the defense and, and Salah letting his position coaches go and, 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 and coach and us make adjustments and, and his players and communicating with the players and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And this is in-game. We'd be in-game and, you know, in the heat of battle. We just came off the field. He's like, I'm thinking about doing this. I'm thinking about making this adjustment. What do you think? And we could have a real conversation where I'm like, hey, I don't think that's going to work. I, I'm not seeing it the same way you're seeing it. I'm out there. Like, I don't think he's seeing us. I don't think he's catching us in his disguise. I think this guy just made a mistake and he, he jumped the snap count and he caught us in a, and that was an aberration. I don't think that was the way it's going to be. And I think when you have coaches that are that flexible and, and that in tune with their players, you're going to have more success. It's the coaches that are too rigid in their philosophy. And, and, and it's, it's me, 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 and it has to be this way. And, and no, it doesn't matter what you say, we're going to do it. I think that's the old school philosophy that used to work. You know, we're going to, we're going to, you're going to do it my way. And this is the right way. And whatever way I say it, that's the way we're going to do it. Now it's more of a, a collaborative effort, as you said, Chris, and that's, it's made for better football. Are, are we to the point now where the NFL is making a mistake by letting coaches be fired and hired while football is still being played? In other words, I, I think that Eric Bieniemy at the end of last year's Super Bowl probably would have gotten a job, but all the jobs were taken by the time that he got there. Todd Bowles at the end of this year's Super Bowl probably would have gotten a job, but all the jobs are taken by the time that he gets finished with the season. And not only that, it's like such a rush to get the assistant coaches for these guys. So you have an advantage if you're firing your coach first and allowing him to go out and shop for these assistant coaches. Why is it that the league doesn't say, Hey, you can't do it until after the Super Bowl is played because we want to keep this thing on an on an even playing field. It's a great question. I wish I knew. Um, because it's old school. Same reason they still run the forty yard dash at the combine. Because nobody's has brought it up, and these these dudes are dinosaurs, and they don't like change. The same way that there's only eight teams with a performance staff um, in the NFL that that study the analytics of performance and, and the data behind it. Um, and, and I mean, there's so many things, so many ways in which the NFL is so innovative and ahead and, and, and incredible. And there's so many ways that they're stuck in 20 years behind everybody else, you know, and that's in terms of science, in terms of um, the recovery aspect of it. I mean, they're catching up now, but it's just, it's just beginning. I mean, the analytics part is just beginning. And I think that, I, I don't think the NFL cares. I think they like the news cycle of a coach getting fired and then did all the headlines of maybe it's this guy, maybe this guy, this guy interviewed, this guy interviewed. And I think that creates more of the soap opera and reality TV style that the NFL enjoys. I mean, you could have it all in the off season, but I don't think you're giving the teams a great enough chance. If you do that, I don't think, I don't think they want to make it that, um, that open wild, wild, wild style. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, it has been a, such a crazy season. I mean, it, the it's idea only getting that crazier. They, 
It's only getting crazier right now. The, the idea that they executed this season and that every game was played and the Super Bowl was played on time um, for all the times that we want to have digs at the National Football League, the commissioner or whatever, pretty amazing what was executed without bubbles uh, that they pulled it off this year. There was the first female officiating uh, official in the National Football League in the Super Bowl. A lot of firsts, um, you look back on the social justice issues. I think that players found a voice that maybe they've never had in their lives, that the, the challenge, the direct challenge to the league and the league responding would basically said, you know, Mr. Commissioner, we need you to say this. And the commissioner going on there and saying exactly what they asked for. Uh, Richard, as you look back on it, what stands out? What was the biggest? Um, I think <clears throat> sacrifice, sacrifice. And, and, I, and I say that because there's so many levels that you don't see. You know, that's all the stuff you did see and hear about. You know, you hear about all the testing. You hear about, about you know, the outbreaks here. This team having to deal with this. This team not getting to practice and still having to play the game. The team's pushing through this. This coach caught it. They are out. This player is out. But you don't hear about the sacrifice of players saying, hey, <clears throat> I don't want to put my family in danger. So I'm going to leave my family in the city that we're from and I'm going to go. And so you got guys away from their families and coaches away from their families for five, six months. You got to make this game happen, to make these games happen, to make sure that we're able to go out and, and play a football game. You know, you win, you lose, but there's so many people. There's, I don't know, 1,500 or so players in National Football League. And all of those players are making a sacrifice that is necessary to, to keep the league going. Because if you, you find selfish enough selfish players, if half the league's selfish, the season's over. You know, the, half the league catches COVID, it's over, it's done. Shut it down, you don't even have a choice. And I think um, it's been cool to see the, the sacrifice, the commitment that these people had. I mean, on every level, the, the staffs, the, the coaches, the, the players, everybody. And I mean, in our situation in San Francisco, we literally had to move to another state and, and play in Arizona for five weeks, which was crazy. Um, but I think it really just shows how, how, how cool the NFL is and, and how regardless of circumstances, they're going to, they're going to persevere. Well, and we move on to the next phase of business now, and that is free agency. You had a bit of a headline the other day when it said you wanted to play two more years, which is good for all of us. That's fantastic news. Uh, maybe not so good for, uh, broadcast teams that wanted to hire you immediately, but uh, it's good for football fans. Uh, just tell us about that decision and, and what you're thinking about going forward. And, and I'm not even going to ask you about John Gruden. I think we raised enough of a stir about with all, that last All week. recruiting can come on the podcast. It right. can happen only on the podcast. Only right? on the podcast. And we're bringing in all college kids. I want to see every corner in this draft. <laughs> um, but uh but uh, yeah, I just want to play two more. You know, I think I think at that point, you know, my son will be eight years old and, and really starting to, 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 to play sports um, and get involved. And I want to be there pretty much every step of the way, um, be a soccer dad and, and drive the minivan and and uh, make sure he has the best chance and sit there on the sideline and yell like a normal person. I want to I want to see the game and and. Uh, not have the anxiety all season and be so locked in and, and away from your family because it does take a toll, you know, 
And I think you hear a lot of players, you know, that, that have played the game for a long time will say this, that it, it takes a toll on your family and it's a sacrifice every year for your family because they have to, <clears throat> when you're in season, they're in season, you know, and they understand that. Like, Hey, Hey, when dad's over here, he's, he's in his room, just let him be. And he'll come down when he comes down or, you know, you have to go to work or you have to stay in a hotel. And this year was even crazier because they stayed in Seattle and I was in San Jose. Um, and so it, it's, it's, it's so much of a sacrifice. And on top of that, you know, your body is what your body is. And you want to walk away from the game on your own terms. And, and I think if I play two more years and, and try to help another team um, return to glory and, and help another defense and, and you know, just the, the, the fun challenge of, of, of that, um, I'll be fulfilled and I'll, you know, I'll be good. I don't, I don't have to play the 20 like Charles did. I mean, I wish I could, but, but Chuck is a one of a kind. That's why he's the first Valley Hall of Fame. <laughs> or you could play 30 like uh, Brady's going to do. So what the heck? Yeah, get on the avocado oil diet. would be good to go. Avocado <laughs> oil. Oh, I'd rather not play. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate you as always. It was uh, it was fun. It was an interesting Super Bowl. But um, uh, I think the, the big winner was probably the league at the end of the day, the fact that they finished it. Uh, not many people thought that they would. Uh, but Tom Brady, I, I know. He did the big it. winner was the streaker. We know this already. The streaker, $750,000. And I'm thinking for, at that at that price and for those odds, I might see Al Michaels on the field next year. <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't know. I'm just saying. That's a possibility. He needs to you make sure Al. that's in the contract. You know Al, he's going to be close. So there you go. Everybody uh, got a prize. Everybody's got a prize. Richard, George, thank you very much. We'll see you guys very soon. See you soon. Thanks, guys.